Thanks for joining us for the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast, a podcast to enrich your soul, where we have conversations with inspiring people about all things property, business and life. And now, the host of Small Talk Big Ideas, Ian Ugarte. Hey, welcome to Small Talk Big Ideas. And today we are talking to Rob Flux, who is a property investor and just like me, actually wants to get people into a better position by using the skill set in his brain and teach other people to do it. Learn today how he actually got into property very young, just like I did, and had to wear through a fairly significant cyclone in in the whole history of Australia and where he's got to now. Let's enjoy Rob Flux and his version of the world. We have Rob Flux with us here, extraordinary property developer, educator, very similar to me. How are you going, Rob? Not too bad, Ian. Yourself, mate? Oh, good. You um, are looking quite healthy through all of this. Mate, I don't know how because I literally have not left this room. Um, <laughs> I, it was probably uh, two weeks ago that um, I went out to get some mail out of the letterbox and I went, geez, this is the first time I've seen sun for two weeks. Um, so it's pretty sad. sad. I've heard a few Uh, stories of people going out. I've heard a few stories of people going out to clean their letterbox just so they can go outside. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. So uh, everything above the waist is looking good, but everything below the waist, I think, is uh, they're calling it the Corona curve. Yeah, Um, right. But uh, yeah. Flattening one curve and increasing the other one. So, Rob, obviously behind you, you've got a couple of banners there. You've got the uh, Property Developer Network uh, and you've also got your safe card. Do you want to talk about those? Oh, you want to go straight to plugs, mate? Yeah, man, let's Uh, go for it. Yeah, okay. Um, We run two brands. So I guess the two that are sitting behind me. So Property Developer Network is... Uh, a community that where we have monthly events in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and growing to uh, connect like-minded people that are up-and-coming property developers. We figure that none of us have uh, all the knowledge, but collectively we do, and we kind of do some masterminding to help each other's projects out. We get industry expert in every month, and we have people sharing real deals. So uh, good community. Um, I think of it more of a drinking club with a property problem. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, and so, so that, uh, that's my social outing is the, is the, that group We're the largest networking group of its kind in Australia. So, um, and quite proud of that and have delusions of grandeur of going global, mate. So, uh, and the Renault save card is a, uh, a subscription based card that gets trade level pricing, um, at, uh, 40 odd suppliers and better than trade at, at a number of suppliers, including, Bunnings, National Tiles, uh, and Waddle, etc. So, and we're we're getting massive discounts on that because of combining the spend of everyone using the card. Yeah, and you were just saying that there's some builders now coming on and using the Renault Save card because it's cheaper than what they can buy from Bunnings. Yeah, correct. So, pretty awesome. um, because they know that, you know, I'll, I'll do a hypothetical. If they're doing ten homes a year, and they they come on board, and there's, you know. 20 or 30 other builders doing 10 homes a year, that combined spend is massive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is and good. that applies to all of our suppliers, not just Bunnings. So. Yeah, and so um, plugs all out of the way. Good, let's get on with the rest of life. Um, you, uh, like me, bought a property pretty young. And uh, like me, I think you had the assistance of your parents? Uh, in a roundabout sort of way. So I bought my first house at the age of 18. Um, the backstory is that 
I, I grew up in Darwin. They, uh, mum and dad had a, a brand spanking new house that was eight months old. They got blown away in Cyclone Tracy. And with no insurance or anything like that, they were in a pretty terrible way financially. And when they rebuilt the house, instead of being a nice up in the air, airy breezy thing that you need in the tropics they bought they built this concrete bunker on the ground that you know concrete reinforced and hot as hell and uh so basically i bought the house off of them and they stayed and paid me rent because that was the only way that they could financially help me because they were in a in a bit of a tight bind themselves so it's actually the other um, way around. So you actually like, helped your you helped your parents out rather than um, and, and I mean obviously they assisted you by selling your property, but yeah, yeah it, it was the other way around really. Yeah, but it, it was mutually beneficial. But uh, as an eighteen year old, uh, you still go out partying and drinking and doing all the things that eighteen year olds do. And uh, eventually, uh, they sat me down and said, "You can't continue this lifestyle." And I went, "Well, it's my house. It's my rules." And at that point, they went, it's time for us to go. <laughs> and uh, that happened to be in the middle of the uh, 1990s recession when interest rates were uh, up at the 17 and 18% mark. So started renting per roommate that, way back then. And you lived in there as well? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah okay. So you, you were... Um, uh, one the of the first pioneer of the products, mate. One of the first adopters of the high income real estate system. Well, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so, in with the benefit of hindsight now, um, how do you see that situation with your parents? Uh, well, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So, um, I went on and bought my first investment property at 21 and owned my first house outright at 24. And um, yeah, I guess a good run. That was largely buy and hold in the first stage of things and I'd a negative gearing and I would never ever ever do that ever again and it's probably the worst advice I ever got um but it served its purpose uh and I learned plenty from it um yeah. pull up pull up that shot again of Cyclone Tracy because it devastated um uh, like it absolutely wiped it out and you know that I actually spoke to a guy who was, I doubt he'd still be alive um, quite a few years ago, who um, was telling me that they went around Australia and they bought every caravan they could possibly buy around Australia and drove them all up there. And his job was to nail star pickets in and chain them down to the ground. Um, and he got paid a ridiculous amount of money to put that in. And then once all the houses were rebuilt, he then went back and for the same amount of money and the same charge, all he did was took a grinder to four posts and took the chains out and the caravans got taken away. Like, it's just amazing what happened there. Yeah, I, I can't say that um, we, we certainly lived in a caravan for about three years underneath the floorboards of what used to be the house. Um, we showered in the backyard under a garden hose uh, with some corrugated iron um, wrapped around as the shower screen. So, you know, times were tough, mate. Oh, yeah. But that's what, that's what builds character. Yes. Uh, so were you, were you actually sitting within the cyclone when it happened? No, we were very fortunate in that uh, we had already pre-planned to come on a, a driving holiday down, uh, down to Brisbane. My dad's family is down here. We had the car packed up, we were ready to go. And when they said the cyclone was coming, mum and dad went, well, let's just stay, make sure the house is okay. Uh, and then we'll kind of leave the next day. So Christmas Eve lunchtime, we 
were sitting at home with a car fully packed up. And at that point, the cyclone turned away and they went, well, we're already packed. Let's go. Yep. So walked downstairs, jumped in the car and we left and we didn't realize that it actually hit until we got to Mount Isa. So right. turned back that night and took out the house. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So it would have been pretty devastating to come back to that, I, I presume, um, but character building nonetheless. Yeah, well, I was quite young, and as a kid, you don't really know the uh, the ramifications. You just kind of it is what it is. So you know, we didn't feel like we were um, poor, but we certainly were. Um, uh, one of the experiences that I remember distinctly was our uh, our primary school was was flattened, uh, so we had to go to, to to school at the high school. So we had to go past the primary school every single day, and there was a, a giant hole in the wall of the library and so on the way home we would just walk through the wall grab a book go home mum and dad would read it to us and then the next day on the way to to school we just fling <laughs> it back through the hole again and and return the book so it was you know we were never stealing but um yeah. uh, it's amazing it's amazing the things that happened so you've gone off you've bought investment properties uh fairly young and you make your way to brisbane obviously yeah so uh Family relocation, uh, the the wife at the time and, and now ex-wife uh, was in a fairly high job in Optus at the time. Optus had the, the contract for Northern Territory Government and uh, when they lost the contract, we had a choice to either get um, fully funded relocation uh, or a redundancy. And we went, well, it's a free ride. Why don't we see what's happening in Brisbane? And down we came. So uh, what year was that roughly? Uh, whatever year, today is minus about 16 years. So <laughs> I can't do, I can't do so math in my head. Early money. 2000s, early 2000s. Um, yeah. So, and ha you were investing in property, but you'd ha had you ever done any development up to this point in time? Uh, I'd done value adding. So renovating properties and, and forcing uh, additional yield onto them and that sort of thing, but not not development per se, no. Right. And so you then decided that you did want to get into development. Um, and you know, you've got the largest network in the country uh, at the moment with property development, but it wasn't always that way. It started pretty small. Yeah. So I, like many others, uh, went and did a number of actual education courses and, uh, paid some exorbitant fees for some that may not necessarily be the value, uh, that they're protested to be, uh, without putting any disparaging remarks against anyone. But what I found out of that was that there were two real common challenges with most of the programs out there. They were generally inspirational. So they get you to do something, but they don't tell you what the something should be. Um, so there's no detail. Uh, and then the mentoring is very generic and doesn't really give you the guidance that you want. Mm. And uh, me and about five other mates went, well, we've all paid for these programs and we've got some knowledge, but we don't have all the knowledge. So we kind of started helping each other's uh, projects out, just sitting over my kitchen table. And as we started to get success, each mate would kind of invite a mate and they'd invite another mate. And all of a sudden I found I was running a public networking group that was never the original plan, but here we are. So you decide that you're going through, you're doing a number of um, groups, uh, starting to ask questions, you're helping each other out doing developments, which is what you really need. You need mates in the game to be able to bounce off and ask questions yep. of. Um, 
and then the network starts to grow, um, how many of the original um, six of you um, are still part of the property development network? Uh, there's two others that are that are in the group, um, but there's only one being me, who's, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> um, uh, gen genuinely active. So the couple yeah. of others, um, one became extraordinarily successful in their own right and doesn't need the network and has kind of gone off on their own boat. Uh, and a uh, couple of others that just went, well, property development isn't for me. And yeah, but a couple of quiet achievers, mate, that sit there in the background. That's good. What's your, what was the first real development deal? So either a subdivision or a duplex build or whatever. Uh, it was a, it was a, a townhouse project that uh, had a couple of, a couple of pre-existing 46 houses that were rooming a com uh, at the front. They were student com, and I know how you feel about student com. <laughs> uh, How's it going right now? Actually, really awesome. Good. Yeah, I haven't had a haven't had a single person ask for a rent reduction. Awesome. Haven't had a single person leave. So that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, and it, it comes from uh, irrespective of what your strategy is. It comes from proactive property management. So um, there's nothing recognizing there's nothing, the issue. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing more important in property than having the right managers putting people into your property and managing them once they're in there. Because, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the days of, I just don't understand some managing agents that sort of just pick whoever, put them in there, then complain when they have to track them down and they'd stop paying bills and all the rest of it. And then they take no responsibility as well, which is why we always make sure that we've got some, like, you know, we've, we've got, con so when they come up and say, well, here's our agreement with you, we'll go, we go, here's our agreement with you. We want you to sign this too. We want you to send us photos every six weeks. We want you to do all of that sort of stuff as well. So um, I hear you, I hear you a lot <laughs> with the management side of it. Well, um, go on. We've got tenants that, uh, I've got one tenant that um, I've had in that property for 10 years. Mm. Uh, because if you get the right tenant, doing a degree it's going to be a three and a half or a four year degree if you yep. treat that tenant right you'll have them for the entire period yeah um sure. there's a lot of misnomers about them going home for holidays and things like that and them not paying rent and it's actually not true because they sign a 12-month lease knowing that they need somewhere safe to store their gear and when they come back they want somewhere to come back to and we only sign 12-month leases with our guys and and most of them stay for good two to three years yeah uh, so what did you do on the rest? You built some townhouses on the rest of the property? Uh, yeah, put six townies at the back and uh, turned four of them into rooming Rooming.com as well. And yeah, it's a uh, nice healthy cash flow, mate. What yeah. um, Did you sell any of them? Uh, yeah, had to sell a, a couple just to to appease the bank, um, just for pre-sales. But um, yeah, I've uh, managed to keep uh, effectively 19 rooms out of those. And that is essentially the cash flow that I need to to live if i if yep. i pulled up stumps and did nothing else that yep you know, that one project got me out you know you don't you know you can't do that though because you'll end up bored shitless like most people that pull up stumps which, which is why i still work 18 hour days mate because yeah, i that's right <laughs> i i'm with you i'm with you uh so uh, you you know you've done brisbane deals but you don't just have a network in um, queensland you do this all over the country yeah correct so uh, we've got Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne as as to where we run our physical events, and uh, the concepts 
apply everywhere. The legislation is different. So there's different terminologies, there's, you know, different buttons to click and different pages, but the, the essential, and you'd know this from your own teachings, the essential framework that everything works under is the same. It's just really plugging in, you know, use this website instead of that website, use this terminology yep. instead of that terminology. And it all applies. Uh, and there's a couple of little idiosyncrasies you have to worry about. 537 councils means 537 variations of how to interpret the same thing. Exactly. But uh, that's the fun of it. Yeah. What did you, what are you actually trained in other than the property stuff? What would, what did you do for work? Uh, 20 years in IT. So designing multi-million dollar data centers and um, disaster recovery solutions and doing, uh, yeah, big shit for big people. So right. Flight Center, Virgin Blue, BHP, people that couldn't afford their stuff to stop working. Right. One tell. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, um, no, no, not one tell. <laughs> um, back then when email first came out, I think we went to three different providers of uh, email and all three of them went broke. It was one tell um, orange and there was someone else. And then we went to Telstra and one of my mates sent an email out to everyone that we knew and said, just be careful everyone because Ian and Christine have sent three broke and Telstra's next. So um, it was crazy back then uh, that dot com era and what they were doing. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Well, going, I, I guess going through the dot com era, I, you know, rolled out Y2K at, at a, I was working for a credit union at the time. I've done some crazy stuff working inside prisons, inside prison walls. What's your take on Y2K? I think it's, you know, I'm, I've got a very strong opinion around a lot of things that happened. I don't know if you've ever noticed that I've got a strong opinion, but um, Y2K was one of them. Yeah, Y2K is one of them where I just go, what a load of rubbish with a huge amount of money spent for no outcome. What's your view on so, it? I will counter that um, in that there are actually a number of disasters that did happen, but because of the proactive stuff, it was actually very well managed. Prevention is way better than cure when it comes to any uh, incident. Sure. Um, we were working, at the time I was working inside a financial institution, we did our tests on that. And if we didn't do the work that we did, we would have been crippled. So, you know, for us, that was critical. Working in the NT at the time, the Northern Territory government, their email system actually had a, a massive failure uh, because they didn't roll out the patches correctly. Uh, and when they went to put the patches in, it was a US owned software product and US and Australia have our dates and our dates. months back to front. <laughs> yeah. um, You've not read your email for three months. Let's delete every email in the entire government. Yes. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I saw some some uh, some hairy things, but they were recovered pretty easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I we actually built a so I was still um, plumbing back then, and my brother and my father's company built a three hundred and fifty thousand um, dollar three bedroom apartment in a plant room on the harbour looking at the Opera House and Sydney Harbour Bridge for the three families of the engineers to stay there on New Year's Eve. So $350,000 for one night is basically what they did. I thought it was bizarre um, and nothing went wrong for them. So it was lucky, obviously. Um, yeah. What do you do in your spare time? The six hours spare? What spare time, mate? Yeah. Um, oh. No, I uh, very much love rugby. So local rugby fanatic and I got season tickets to the to support the Queensland Reds so I, I like going and 
enjoying a beer while watching them lose. Um, you know, I've followed them. I've followed them from the first time they were shit uh, until they won the until they won everything and now they're shit again. So uh, that's how you can tell if you're a fan, right? If you if you're still there, still drinking there. Beer when um, absolutely. So uh, do that. Um, like socialising with mates, and I, I've kind of built a family out of this uh, property developer network community that. Hmm. You know, we we hang around and socialize after our events and yeah that I, I take pleasure in in uh watching other people grow mate yeah that's awesome what's what's one of the uh what's one of the most quirky deals you've done or a good story about some of the deals you've done oh there, there's some stories that i'd like to tell you about the current one but I would, i'd like it to finish first because <laughs> i've still got to work with some of the consultants mate it all comes down to human interactions and you know people are people and they come in all sorts of variety of uh flavors and so you got to navigate some very dominant personalities some very quiet personalities and there's there's always backstories in in that interaction don't worry about the money the money happens yeah. as a byproduct it's um, um it's yeah. just one of these things eh, that people people go oh, i want to go into development or i want to invest in property and it's not that easy it's not a, it's not a simple easy thing no, no, it's, uh, I like to think of it as get rich slow rather than get rich quick um, <laughs> and slow and steady and you can do it safely. Yeah. I think um, someone asked me once before, how, how do I end up with a million dollars in my bank account as a developer at the end of the year? And I said, start with 10 million and you should have a million left at the end of the year. That's about how it works. If you're going to start with, with, you know, eyes wide shut. Um, What's your advice to someone who wants to get into that? There we go. Get rich slow. <laughs> Seth Godin. Um, get rich quote. slow. Yes. Um, um, yeah. What's your What's your advice? So have some very basic philosophies in get your strategy right first. Once you know what your strategy is, that then determines all of your next steps. Uh, a lot of people struggle with bright, shiny objectitis and they see every strategy works but they see somebody get success with one strategy and then so they jump over there and they stick there for a little while and then they see somebody else on a different strategy get successful and they jump over there mm. and they don't stick to it long enough to break through that learning curve and so when they're flipping and flopping a lot of energy goes in but not a lot of productivity comes out yeah it's what i call the restless puppy dog you know they just from backseat to backseat using all the energy look you know running across the backseat of the car and then finally when they get to the park they're so stuffed from running at the back of the car that they've got no energy to do anything else so and i noticed that's one thing that you consistently say and i always agree with this this that you say as well is that not one strategy is right for everyone correct and so we take quite a bit of pride in in running an event that to just help people choose their strategy and if that strategy happens to be something that we don't teach all power to them because now they know that the course that they go and do is going to be the right course because what i see consistently in my community which is one of the things that really peeves me is that they'll go to a, a slick presentation and be sold into the fact that that's the only solution uh, and when they get there they find out that 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 solution didn't fit their circumstance. And it wasn't that the solution was wrong because the solution has helped many, many people, but it just didn't suit their circumstance. And so if we can get them to work out, well, what, what strategy suits me, 
um, go and do the right course, then you know, you're going to get much better value out of that. Because two people sitting doing my course or your course or the next person's course, if it suits one person's strategy, they'll think it's massive value and the person sitting right beside them will think it's a waste of time. Hmm. And um, I prefer to have people that just get value. Yeah, and I, I, we're pretty strong on both of us. You know, I, I'm very strong when I am talking about my program that I say, this is not a silver bullet. This is not easy. You've got to be committed. And if you're not willing to talk to people, this is probably not a program for you. And if you don't have the money, this is not a program for you. Like I'd, you know, I'd much rather see you financially stable than financially unstable on the, on, you know, betting the last dollar on joining a program. That's for sure. And we've seen that time yeah, and time right. again, and, and both of us push people away. I mean, I, I really like the fact that one of our first interactions was actually about creating a, a group of property educators that are on the same page about actually protecting people and helping people rather than watching some of the things that happen in this industry. It's an awful industry to be part of. And luckily someone like you and, you know, we've got Jane Slack Smith and we've got a whole bunch of other people that are, you know, have got some integrity about them and, and um, moving forward with that. What's the best way to get in touch with Rob Flux? Well, they can come to our Property Developer Network Facebook page or they can come to our Property Developer Network website. Um, if they Google Property Developer Network, we pretty much own the first two pages of Google. I think somehow they'll find us. Yeah, and we've got three or four different ways that you can engage. We've got the, the meetups. We've got, I guess, the Facebook community. Yeah. Awesome. Just Google. All right. Tell them, tell them that Ian sent you, right? All right, tell, tell Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, any final famous last words? What's your favorite quote? That changes from time to time as things are changing around me. So right now, uh, one of my favorite ones is a Warren Buffett quote. Um, I'm going to say two Warren Buffett quotes that kind of um, work back to back. So be, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And I think in this current market, that is very apt uh, and the second one is that um, risk comes from being uneducated mm -hmm. and so in the current market there's a lot of people thinking it's risky but if you're educated you'll see through that and yep. that allows you to be greedy by being educated yep absolutely no worries okay rob thank you for your time thanks for your story um i love the darwin part of it that's really awesome thank you mate appreciate it have a good one Thanks for hanging around the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope you enjoyed that and pulled out plenty of information that'll help you move forward. If you want to find out or listen to more podcasts, please subscribe, follow us on social media, or go to ianugate.com.au to find out much more about what we do. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Small Talk Big Ideas podcast. We hope we've succeeded in our goal to inspire and challenge you. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Small Talk Big Ideas with Ian Ugarte.